Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland. We take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. If you'd like to join us live at one of our campuses or stream one of our services online, go to peavine.org for times, locations, and more information. Well, thank you to our praise and worship team. Great job this morning. Matthew chapter 5, if you have your Bibles, thank you for being here this morning. For those of you watching online, thank you for joining us online today and at the Rossville campus. Love you guys there. Thank you so much wherever you are. I know folks traveling today tuning in around the world. So thank you for watching online today for sure. I started a sermon series a couple weeks ago called The Difference as we go through Matthew chapter 5. When Jesus started the Sermon on the Mount, what he was trying to do was uh, tell us how we could let our light shine, and here's how we did it. It was the difference between the way a lost world lives and the way a Christian lives. That difference is the light that shines on the gospel. And so there has to be a difference between us and a lost and dying world in the way we live our lives, because that difference is the only thing that points people to Jesus. And so we looked at that very first sermon, that it's our attitude that points people to Jesus as we went through those first uh, 12 verses talking about our attitude. And, and today I want to dive into one of these passages that you've heard so much of your life, but really may have never heard a, a sermon on it. I'm not even sure I've ever preached on it in, until this morning. And I want to preach on this. I'm going to call it bad taste. I'm the worst sermon toddler there is among preachers in America. I'm the worst one ever. That'll actually make sense at the very end of the sermon. But Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. We're going to get there in a moment. Let me kind of set the table for where we, how we want to uh, get there. Now, many of you, I know during COVID, uh, two years ago, I started trying to lose some weight and get in a little bit better shape. I was in a good shape before. It was just a real round shape I was in before. Uh, it was a good round one, though. But uh, uh, So I wanted to try to get in shape, lose some weight. A lot of people have done that. And here's what I know about there are really only two rules to dieting or getting in better physical shape uh, exist. Doesn't matter what plan you do. Doesn't matter wh- whether you want to do keto or Weight Watchers or, or what, whatever you do. Doesn't matter what you do. Uh, uh, you buy that stuff, you know, off the television, all that. I get all that. Doesn't matter what you do. There's only two rules to dieting and it applies to everything. Here, here are the rules to dieting. Uh, Sherry, that needs to go. The, the rules to dieting. Number one, if it tastes good, it's bad for you. Right? That's the rule, right? If you enjoy the taste, you're not going to lose weight. Number two, if it tastes bad, it's good for you. So only two rules of dieting there is. Matter of fact, you can tell what kind of, uh, 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 whether this food is healthy or not. You don't have to look up points or calories or fat or anything. Just put it in your mouth. And if it tastes bad, then yes, it is absolutely good for you. As a matter of fact, do a little research, and I found five of the top-rated foods health-wise. So if you look up the best foods for your body, here are five that you need to know. Spinach. Tastes bad, tastes good. Bad. Oh, come on. Spinach doesn't taste good unless it's sl- slathered in butter and oil and all that stuff or deep fried the way some people do it. How about this? Oysters. Now, some of you, some of you are saying, I love oysters. They, they don't mean the way you eat them. 
They don't mean with a cracker and hot sauce simmering in butter with cheese and bacon piled on top of it. They mean dig them out of the ocean and eat them out of the salt water is what they mean when they say oysters. How about this? Prunes. How about this one? Broccoli. And if somebody's saying, I love broccoli. No, you don't. You love the cheese and the butter on broccoli. Given the choice between broccoli and Doritos, you'd choose Doritos every time. Even little kids know that. My, my, my youngest grandson, my daughter, my oldest daughter, she follows a philosophy of feeding that we, did, we didn't do. And she, that is, we're just going to give him, even from a small child, what uh, baby, what we eat. And so he'll learn to like all kinds of food groups. And so they have given him peppers, mild peppers, but he just gnawing them. They, they gave him, we were there, and he gave him a green onion one time, and, and, he, and he ate it and threw it down and then picked it up and ate the whole thing after that. But, but I have video of him eating broccoli for the first time. Watch Lucas. And all I want you to see was the face he made when he ate it because he did this when he ate it. Because that should be the natural reaction to broccoli, right? And then there is beetroot is good for you eh. and bone broth is good for you. Now, now i just be honest. There's not a home run in any of that. I get you can eat broccoli with cheese and you need oysters with cheese and butter. I get all that. But now can I look at this? I, I, I found a list of the top 50 foods rated taste-wise. Now here's the top 50 Rated corn taste. I'm not going to give you 50. I, let me, I'm just going to give you maybe eight or 10 of them, all right? Here's the top 50 food. Now, I want you to compare in your mind what we just talked about, all right? Number 50, buttered popcorn. Can I get amen? Uh, uh, number six, uh, number 48, a potato chip. Yeah, it doesn't matter what kind. 43, tacos. Can I get amen? Number 33, y'all ought to be having revival right now. Fish and chips. Fish and chips, right? Num- number 23, lasagna. Number 14, donuts, and all God's people said amen to that, right? Now we're talking about the foods that have taste. Number nine, ice cream. Number six, a hamburger. Number three, chocolate in any form. I love this. Number two, pizza in any form. Number one, curry. I don't know about that, but that confused me. Must have been a worldwide, must have been a worldwide survey. But now here, here's the deal. Here's all I'm telling you. You saw the 10 I gave you, right? And you remember the first five or six I gave you. Here's what I want to tell you. Nobody ever built a restaurant off the first list. Nobody has ever said to you, hey, have you checked out that new prune place downtown? (laughs) Have they? Nobody's ever said, hey, dude, I, I went the other day downtown and they had a bone broth dish that no nobody's ever said that nobody's ever said hey i'm gonna tell you i I know you were planning on going to uh you know buffalo wild wings or whatever i know you're planning on going to pizza hut but man there's a new broccoli restaurant downtown that you have got nobody's ever done that nobody has ever in the history of restaurants ever built a restaurant off that first list why because it has no taste whatsoever but man you get to this second list you get to the second list an entire industry has been built around this or this thing right here. You say, what industry? 
movie industries. They, they don't care about you buying movie tickets. They care about you buying a $20 bucket of popcorn when you go in. Because they know you can't say no. Potato chips, taco restaurants, fish and chips, lasagna, donut. There are restaurants built around donuts, for goodness sakes. Ice cream, hamburgers, chocolate, pizza, curry, I don't know. But still, still, the foods that taste good, hear me. What's the difference between the first list and the second list? Here's what it is. Hear me, don't miss this. Taste attracts a crowd. Taste attracts a crowd. A crowd. Now, I just said something spiritually there that you may have missed because we've not read our Bible verses yet, but hear me. Taste attracts a crowd. That is exactly what Jesus is trying to tell us in Matthew chapter 5 that taste is going to attract a crowd. And Jesus is telling us that not about a restaurant, He's telling us that about your Christian life, that taste ought to attract a crowd. In this famous passage on salt and light, he's trying to tell us that he is setting up an attractional model of evangelism. Hear me, an attractional model. What is the attraction to a lost and dying world? Hear me, you are the attraction to the gospel for a lost and dying world. At least you're supposed to be. At least we're supposed to be. The attraction of a lost and dying world to the gospel of Jesus Christ ought to be your life, ought to be my life. That the difference between a lost and dying world and the difference between us is the way we live for Jesus. And hear me, the way Jesus wants to reach people with the gospel is the life you live is so different than the life they live that they stand up and pay attention to what's happening in your life. It's called being salt and light. What exactly does he mean? He, he, he's on a hillside here and he's teaching thousands of people. And so far there's nothing separating the crowd. Mixed into that, those thousands of people who are listening to him are people who believe in him, are people who are there just looking for help, and there are people there who are just looking for a show. And what we find out as the sermon progresses and as his ministry progresses, that the people who are just looking for help and the people who are just looking for a show are eventually going to fade away. And the difference is evident in their lives that Jesus is not looking for people who are looking for a show. Jesus is looking for disciples, people that will go out into the darkness of, an, of a lost world and show the world the difference it makes knowing Jesus. Well, let's look at what he said in Matthew chapter 5. Would you stand with me in honor of reading God's word, Matthew chapter 5? Look beginning at verse number 13, Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt shall lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It is no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. 
No one lights a lamp, puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Thank you. You may be seated. Jesus moves from the attitudes we have towards God and man into this famous salt and light passage, and there's really no way for me to set it up other than just to dive into it. Let me tell you four things Jesus was trying to tell us about salt and light, two about salt and two about light. Number one, he was trying to tell us this, that you are the flavor and the favor. You are the flavor and the favor. Salt had two basic functions in the ancient world that is still true today. Salt, first of all, was flavor. Salt was used to flavor foods in cooking and post-preparation as a flavor enhancer. And so you would use salt in cooking. You would use salt in, uh, to flavor after it was cooked. And salt, as you know, was a valuable commodity even in Jesus' day. Even in, in, in recent time, up until just recently, salt has never been in such uh, uh, easy access as what it is today. It was a valuable commodity, and it was used in flavoring to make things. And I, I, I have a little bit of a salt addiction in my life. I love salt, and I salt everything. Uh, I, I don't really eat food. I eat salt, and I just use food as a carrier to it to get it in because it enhances flavor. But it's not just for flavor. It's also used for Uh, what I'll call favor. I'll explain that in a moment, but it was used as a preservative. Salt would be rubbed into items to make them last much longer and put off spoiling. I'll call it favor, flavor and favor. So how are disciples, that's us, supposed to be this flavor and favor. What in the world Jesus mean when he said, you are the salt of the earth? All right, preacher, flavor and favor, but what does that mean? Here, here's what it means. Let me give you two things. Number one, it means there ought to be an attractional quality to our walk with God. An attractional quality to our walk with God. That is, there ought to be a difference about your life that makes people long for a relationship with God. What do you mean? That means because you have the Holy Spirit in your heart, your calming presence in a difficult situation should attract others to God. The godly way you handle your finances should attract others to God. The love and the joy that's inside your home, the selflessness that is inside your home ought to attract others to God. That your assurance of heaven ought to attract others to God. That peace you have that goes beyond all understanding should attract others to God. That love you have for Jesus and his church that he died for ought to attract others to God. The way we talk and the words we use and the decent and kind communication that comes out of our mouth ought to attract others to God. The kindness you exhibit to a cruel world ought to attract others to God. The morality you have versus the world's morality or immorality, all of that is your flavor. Flavor, And when people get a taste of how they can live and what you have and what they don't have, it ought to bring others to Jesus, just like a restaurant with great food and service. Hear me, the parking lot's always full. If you had two restaurants side by side, it's called social proof in psychology. 
You have two restaurants side by side, and one of them, the parking lot is packed with the weight outside, and the other one, there's one car in the parking lot, looks like the guy that owns it that's probably uh, uh, cooking the food in the back. Listen, you'll wait in line. Why? Because you don't know what's going on over there. You'd rather go where it looks like the food is good and people can't wait to get in. Well, your life, my life, ought to be a life that is, is like a packed uh, uh, parking lot at a restaurant that people are willing to wait because there's a difference between the food there and the food somewhere else. And there's a difference between your life and the life of somebody who doesn't know Jesus. There ought to be an attractional quality to your Christian life. But number two, there ought to be a preservation quality to your walk with God. Salt is a preservative. It takes what otherwise would rot and putrefy and keeps it fresh and whole. That's what our walk with God is supposed to do. We should keep the world around us fresh and whole. Get this, there ought to be joy when a disciple of Jesus steps on the scene. It ought to keep our family preserved. It ought to keep our workplace preserved. It ought to keep our schools preserved. It ought to keep our society preserved. That preservation effect is the flavor of God that is following the favor of God, that is following the disciple of Jesus Christ. And so here's what Jesus said. You are the preservation of the world. That the reason the world, how many of you would agree with me, the world is in pretty bad shape right now. Could I get an amen out of that? Even at home in Rossville, give me an amen. You know why it's not worse? Disciples of Jesus trying to live like him. We are flavor and favor. And wherever we go, our walk with God should draw people to Christ. Get this. When they observe a little bit of us, hear me, they should want all of him. Boy, that was a great place to say amen right there. Let me say it again, all right? When they observe a little bit of us, they should want all of him. Say amen right there. Man, we got one of the great American institutions back uh, just uh, a few months ago. One of the famed American tradition. Nay, I say rights in America we should demand. Free Costco samples are back. Have you noticed it? During COVID, they cut out the Costco samples. It was the only reason to go to Costco. I don't need six pounds of peanut butter. I wanted samples on the end of the aisles. And they got rid of it during COVID. It was a cheap day night. Be like, you can go to, you can go to Costco? She'd be like, sure, we just eat there. We just go from snack to snack. Because they give that stuff away in quantity. I mean, just in there, she makes friends with everybody giving something away. She'll find out where they live, what they do, where they're from, how many calories are in this, what is this made from, all that. She'd sit there and talk to them and just eat. like like. And I'm over in the corner. I'm like, just bring it over here to me. I don't want to get involved in the uh, politics of the whole thing. Just bring me my dinner on a plate. Ask her for a paper plate. I'll, I'll get mine. But So why did they, why did they give out such great quantities of food at Costco? Well, the Atlantic did a study a few years ago, and, and here's, here's what they Here's what they found out about in the study. They found out this, that samples in Costco have boosted sales in some cases by as much as 2,000%. For example, 
frozen pizza samples caused a 600% increase in sales. Cheese samples by over 100%. And you look at this graph that you put out, uh, if it had a sample or no sample, right? Well, when, when you don't put out a sample of ground turkey, here's how much it sells. You put out a sample of ground turkey, it more than doubles. Bagels, nobody even buys it if you don't put a sample out. You put it out, frozen pizza, same thing. Look at yogurt. Ain't nobody going into Costco to buy yogurt till they give it away. Everybody's like, I got to have yogurt. I didn't know what my life was missing. I need yogurt in my life. Why? Because they got a sample of it, and then they wanted all of it. In other words, when people get a sample of something that brings with it all of the goodness of the whole thing, it makes them want everything associated with that sample. Hear me, that's what your walk with God is supposed to be. You know what we are in the Christian life? You know what he meant by saying we're salt? You are the sample of Jesus to a lost and dying world. And as disciples of Jesus, your life should draw people to him. As a disciple of Jesus, your life should draw people to him. That is the way you live. That is your attitude. That is the way you talk. It is the way you handle your finances. It's your family. It is everything about your life. It is your peace. It is your joy. You name it. All of that is the sample. That doesn't make people say, I want to be like Joel. It makes people say, I want to be like Jesus. How do I know him? How do I know him? Paul said it, he reiterated what Jesus said in 2 Corinthians 2. He said, but thanks be to God who always leads us in Christ's triumphal procession and through us, gets this, spreads the aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. That you as a child of God are to spread the aroma of Jesus everywhere you go. For to God we are the fragrance of Christ. Get this, man, so much good. Among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Paul said your relationship with Jesus, you are the flavor and the favor to a lost and dying world that you are the salt of the earth. Here's what that means. Your life should be lived so that others are drawn to the gospel. So let me ask you, is it being lived that way? Can they look at your family and say, I want to know Jesus so I can have what they have? Can, can they look at you in a difficult situation and say, I want to know Jesus because I want to have what they have? Can they look at the joy in your life and the peace in your life and say, oh, I want to know Jesus because I want what they have? They got a little taste in you and they want all of Jesus. Number one, you are the flavor and the favor. Number two, he said this. If you're polluted, you are diluted. He said it in verse 13, but if the salt should lose its taste. Jesus may have had in mind the salt that was collected from the Dead Sea by evaporation. It's how much of their salt was mined. It would be taken from the Dead Sea and through an evaporation process, the water would leave it and you'd be left with 
salt, but the salt in the Dead Sea often included crystals of another mineral called gypsum. And you couldn't tell the difference between the gypsum and the salt. They would be both mixed in into certain saline deposits. And so when, when people went to collect this salt, this impure mixture of salt and gypsum could easily be mistaken for pure salt. So you'd have this white substance, that uh, whitish, that, that looked like pure salt, but it would have a, an abnormal amount of gypsum mixed in with it. And they'd go through the whole process to create the salt. And then when they tasted it, they discovered it was not usable, even for flavor or even for preservation purposes. That it would have more gypsum than salt, and you wouldn't want to rub the gypsum into your meats. You wouldn't want to sprinkle your food with the gypsum because it had a, a vile taste to it. Now, hear me. Look this way. Look this way. It had lost its usefulness by being mixed with impurities. It had lost its usefulness. By being mixed with impurities. Here's what you need to know about salt. Salt doesn't lose its flavor. It loses its effectiveness when there are more impurities in the mix than there is salt in the mix. Now, I'll be honest, that point preaches itself. Because the same is true for a disciple of Christ. We lose our effectiveness for Jesus when there is more of the world in us than there is of Jesus in us. I cannot point people to Jesus when more of the world is in me than of Jesus is in me. I look more like them. I act more like them. I am more like them. And I absolutely lose all the flavor of my Christian life. We are polluted with the culture and the process. We dilute our witness for Jesus. And when we are no longer different, when we've lost our favor, flavor, can I tell you, they don't want anything to do with us. Why would they want what we have when our life is no better than their life? How many of you lost your, how many of you lost your taste when you had COVID? Anybody else, anybody else in the room lose taste? Let me see your hand. Show me. I want to see if I'm not alone. Wow, not, not many of you. I, I, I flat out lost all of mine. As a matter of fact, I had COVID in November, and, and I still just now have started to get back uh, smell and uh, taste. And it's been, I've gone through periods of it. So I went, in the beginning, I just couldn't taste anything. Somebody described it this way. It felt like there was a latex glove over your tongue. And that's exactly, exactly the way it felt for me. I didn't have good taste buds anyway. Uh, I had a tumor in my mouth I had to have removed five or six years ago, and they cut out my entire palate. I don't know what they did. They cut the side of my jaw and other things. I don't know what they did, but I lost some, I lost some ability to taste uh, during that process as well. But when I got COVID, when I got COVID is on a, I, didn't, I don't know if I got it on a Monday, but I figured it out on a Monday. I was, at, I was at a restaurant with some of the guys, and it was Jeremy and Daniel and Corbin, maybe Tyler. We were sitting at a restaurant, and I'd got barbecue chicken, and, and I put it in my mouth, and I thought I had a cold. And, and I put it in my mouth, and I thought, this chicken doesn't taste very good today. As a matter of fact, and I, and I did, I squirted more barbecue sauce on him. And then I ate that, and I thought, the barbecue sauce doesn't taste very good today. And so then I just squirted barbecue sauce on my finger, and I ate it. 
and didn't taste anything. And I said to the guys, still don't, not thinking about COVID yet. I said, hey, guys, does, does the food taste all right to y'all? And they're like, tastes great to me. And uh, I'm like, well, weird thing. And as soon as I said it, I knew. I said, I can't taste any of it. And the chairs went around the table. <laughs> and like Jeremy and I had ridden with Daniel in like we, about two more minutes. And I said, hey, it's not COVID. It's not COVID. I just have a cold. I said, let me just try something else. And we kept trying foods and I couldn't taste them. And then Jeremy had a green onion. And I, I literally, I stuck that thing up to my nose and I said, I can't smell anything. And then I, I, I bit it and could not taste anything and I said hey um I could have COVID and you should you you, people have never left the restaurant could have been on fire and they'd gotten out slower than what they got away from me at the table that day and poor Daniel I had ridden with him and I called my doctor and I said I need a COVID test and they said we got to be here in 15 minutes and I said Daniel you got to drive me to the doctor I don't have my car it's at the church I don't have time to go back and get it you just have to you just have to ride with me in the car he rode with me in the car next two hours me getting a COVID test he didn't get it I don't know how that works but he didn't get it from me doing all that I lost my taste, and, and as a matter of fact, about six weeks ago, about eight weeks ago, I went from not having any taste to everything tasted bad, and during that process, it tastes like I don't, I've never eaten burnt copper, but the best way I could describe it is all my food tasted like burnt copper, and so here what happened, I'd kind of lost weight where I wanted to be, like I, I was fine where I was, and in the last eight weeks, I've lost 10 more pounds. You say, why have you lost 10 more pounds? Because the joy of food was gone. You say, well, you still get the texture. Texture without taste is disgusting. You say, I don't believe it. Okay. You you, you look at your average candy bar advertisement. They advertise in a Snickers as ooey gooey and stuff like that. Ooey gooey without taste is not something you want in your mouth. It, it, it feels like, you know what's ooey gooey, ooey gooey? A frog. Eat a frog. Tell me if that tastes good. It's ooey gooey too. Just eat a frog. It's ooey gooey. Same as the Snickers. If you can't taste the chocolate and the caramel and the nuts and all that, I'm telling you, it's like eating a frog. And so I'd look at food. That was about a three or four week period. I'd look at food and I'd be like, no, I do not want that. That's weird. And and I do not want to put that in my mouth if I can't taste it. And all of a sudden, everything I was eating lost its flavor. And I didn't want to eat it anymore. You know, that's what's wrong with our witness. We've lost our flavor, and the world doesn't want what we're offering. Your witness should have a greater impact if you are a wholly devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Then yes, your witness have an impact. If there's as much world in you as there is Jesus, your witness is going to have no impact. And I'm, I've, Every time I take a week off, I preach too long after that. Let me give you a third thing. I'm going to skip a bunch. Let me give you a third thing right here. Number two, he talked about light. He said this, point number three, your light is their sight. Here's what he said. You're the light of the world. A city situated in a hill cannot be hidden. In the same way, let your light shine before others. They may see your good works. Glorify your Father which is in heaven. So now Jesus is trying to use a metaphor to make another point. He says you're the light of the world. But hold on, that doesn't actually make sense. Because in John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus spoke to them and said, I am the light of the world. Well, who's the light of the world? 
right? Who's, is it Jesus or us? Get this. Our light is a borrowed light from Jesus. It is his power shining through us. If salt is an internal application, light is an external a- application. So what is our light? How do we shine our light that we're borrowing for Jesus? Well, here's what he says, that your good works, your good works, verse 16, is your light. When a lost and dying world sees our good works, it shines a light on the gospel. When a lost and dying world sees our good works, it shines a light on Jesus. I'm, I'm just going to have to skip huge portions. I want to I want to show you this. That's the Hubble spacecraft and. Um, in January this year, it officially passed the 1 billion second mark. It was launched from, you know, Space Shuttle Discovery, April 25th, 1990. And after 31 years, it officially um, uh, passed the 1 billionth second. It's still operational. Now, they just launched a different one similar to it in space, but the Hubble's still taking photos. It uses 25-foot solar panels. And get this, I didn't know this. It requires 2,100 watts to operate. To put that in perspective, your hair dryer uses 1,800 watts. So to take these photos far, far away, it uses about the same wattage as your hair, hair dryer home through those 25-foot solar panels. But get this, Hubble has taken pictures. I don't even understand what I'm about to say. Hubble has taken pictures that are 13.4 billion light years away. Billion. Now, now here's what that means. If you got on the Starship Enterprise and you went into, what do they call it, hyper warp, warp speed, whatever, you'd be in warp speed for 13 billion years before you reached as far as Hubble has seen. Can I say it this way? Hubble has shown us things that it would have been impossible for us to have seen otherwise. Hubble has shined a light on what we couldn't find ourselves. And that is exactly what Jesus said when you're light of the world. There are people who'll never know Jesus unless your light shines the gospel to them. And your light is your good works. When's the last time you were caught doing good? Not being good, doing good. When's the last time you went to work and bragged about what you did for Jesus in the church? When's the last time you found somebody in need and went the extra mile? When's the last time you served somebody else? You were kind to somebody else? You did something to somebody else? You gave wanting nothing in the return? Your light is their sight, and your good works are the only way some people will see Jesus. That leaves me number four, and I'm finished. Sorry to have to preach in such a hurry. Y'all should have listened faster. Number four, he said this. Number four, he said, your good is his glory. And Sherry, I spelled that wrong. That should have been Y-O-U-R. That's my mistake. I just get in a hurry sometimes. Your good is his glory. Now, what do you mean by that? Well, if we aren't careful, we do good works to get personal praise. Look what he says in the verse. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. 
we're not careful we do good works to get personal praise that's not the way it's supposed to work our good works shine a light on Jesus and others see him and God is glorified because of our good works our good works point people to Jesus and his glory close your Bibles I'm finished I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you an illustration that'll explain all that. You say, well, how do my good works shine light on, on Jesus? Can I give you an illustration that you'll get? They just stand with me across the room. I'm going to finish. I'm going to crash land the plane. It's not going to be a, it's not going to be a soft landing. We're just going to hit the mountain and be done. All right. Here's how it happens. When my kids were little, we, we'd drop them off at somebody's house for them to keep for a few hours for us, or maybe us going on a date or something like that. When my kids would be in the backseat of the car, my wife would start running down the rules and manners that they should maintain while they're at somebody else's house. And so my, Sherry had a list. My wife had a list with our girls. Uh, many nights at dinner time, my wife had a manners book. And while we were eating dinners, my wife would read manners books to us and, 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 and tell us what good manners are. She's doing it for the girls. Man, it, it cleaned me up a lot too, man. I, I didn't know. And, and so she'd do it for the girls. And she'd be like, so they'd be on the way to somebody's house. And, um, and, and she'd be saying stuff like, you know, um, hey, I want you to help out while you're at somebody's house. I want you to be nice while you're at somebody's house. I want you to be kind while you're at somebody else's house. I want you to say yes, ma'am, and yes, sir, when you're at somebody's house. If they feed you, I want you to help. And they'd be little bitty kids. She'd say, I want you to help pick up the dishes. I want you to help clean the kitchen. I want you to just do this and do that. Go on down the line. You don't make a mess at their house. You be nice to their kids. It, it'd go on down the list and, and she'd go over and over and over it. And all three of us be saying, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. We got it. I'm not even staying there. I'm, I'm drilled in. And so she'd go, we'd, we'd pick them up. We'd go pick up our kids. You know what we hear every time? Every time. Somebody would say, your girls had the best manners of any kids we've ever kept. Your girls helped cleaned up. They were yes, ma'am, yes, sir, the whole time. And here's what they'd inevitably say. What did you do to raise such good girls? Listen, I never stepped foot in the house. It was their good works that brought glory to their mama. Because I'd be like, hey, it ain't me. It ain't me. If, if she'd dropped me off, I'd have made a mess. Like, it's not me. It's, it's them. It's her. It was their good works that brought glory to their mama. Can I tell you, that's what happens when we let our light shine. That God gets the glory, that people get saved, that people come to church, that when we let our light shine, man, I love this Bible verse so much, conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles. He means lost people. So that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works. And what? Glorify God. Glorify God on the day he visits. Too many Christians have left a bad taste in a lost and dying world because we've not let them watch our good works. Oh, we've let them seen us act just like them. We've let them seen our lives as big as mess as their lives and God gets no glory from that. Salt and light. Bow your heads with me. Bow your heads. The whole idea behind this sermon series that Pastor Joel is preaching is that as followers of Jesus, 
we're supposed to be different. And Matthew chapter 5 is that Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is given instructions uh, to the people who are listening. And I love the points from Pastor Joel's sermon this morning. Your flavor and favor. Jesus said we're salt and light. If you're polluted, you're diluted. You, you can't represent Christ well if there are things going on in your life that ought not be. Your light is their sight. The light of Jesus that we reflect um, is the only light that a lost and dying world sees. And our good is His glory. When we're following Jesus like we should, um, then God gets glory. And uh, man, it's so important for us to realize that. And maybe there's some things that God has spoken to you about in your life that you need to get right. Or maybe there's never been a time for you when you put your faith and trust in Jesus. There would be no better time to do that than today. It begins with you understanding that you're a sinner. Believing that Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sin and confessing Him as your personal Lord and Savior. Jesus paid the debt of sin that we owed through His death, His burial, and His resurrection. And we can have a relationship with Jesus if we simply give our life to Him. And it begins by you telling God this, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sin. I believe that Jesus died on the cross, that He was buried, and on the third day He rose again. Lord, I ask You to come into my heart, take away my sin, be my Savior. Lord, I give my life to You. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer this morning for the very first time and you meant it, I want to say welcome to the family. I want to send you some resources that will help you on your faith journey with Jesus. And so if you prayed that prayer just now, for the very first time and you meant it, I want you to click on the, the box that we've just dropped in, in the chat that says, um, I commit my life to Christ. And um, we're going to send you some stuff in the mail. And I personally want to connect with you and help you take next steps with Christ. Hey, it's been awesome to be together uh, this morning. I so look forward to our times together each week. I hope you have a great week. God bless you. We'll see you next week. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to connect with us on social media. For more information about Peavine, to get in touch with us or check out one of our services, visit us at peavine.org. Thanks for listening.